If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. On this episode of Damsels in the DMs. I think that rebrands are often panic-driven and um, unnecessary because I think that they they sort of overestimate how much the world is paying attention to, like, you know... What you can't rebrand from yourself. It's not unless you just start lying. Like it's impossible. It's like your brand DNA is going to be in everything that you do. I mean, this is all like you know, my brand DNA is going to be in everything that I do. This message is intended as a reminder that we are not licensed professionals, not psychiatrists or psychologists. If you have a serious problem, please seek professional help. The National Suicide Hotline is one eight hundred two seven three eight two five five. That's one eight hundred two seven three eight two five five. There's some damsels in the DM. Yes, queen. <laughs> Tell us what's the vibe. Uh-huh. What's the vibe? There's some damsels in the DM. Do you? Do Please tell us what's the vibe. DMs, DMs. Yeah, we see them. Yeah, we read them. DMs, DMs. We don't need them. We just leave them. Please. Yeah. It's going down in the DMs. Bye. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Damsels in the DMs. I'm Lauren. And I'm Alejandro. How have you been doing, Alejandro? Anything new with you? Lots. I feel like September really flew by. By the time this episode comes out, it'll be October. But by the time we get to October, I'm sure we're going to be saying the same thing. But it just feels like time is moving so quickly. How is everything mm-hmm. Yeah, that was interesting. One of the things that Pickle brought up on this episode was time is a gift, not a threat. And that one like really hit me hard because I feel like that's something that I personally struggle with a lot. Like there's just not enough time in the day, not enough time to get everything done that I want. But it's so powerful, I think, to reframe the thinking on that. It's amazing to be able to take ownership and not just let things happen. We can grab life by the horns and make intentional moves and... You know, I feel like it was funny that we, I think, had an understanding or had this idea in our heads about rebranding or how one goes about rebranding. But what Pickle shared as far as, like, not making it so much a 180, but just letting yourself dive into authenticity and, and purpose in a meaningful way, it was like, it was really, it was a nice refresh button on that uh, yeah. topic. Well, and it's so true because people naturally grow and evolve, right? Like you have to expect that from people. So I guess like by putting the title of rebrand on it, it does have this um, air of inauthenticity and also just like that you're doing it for other people rather than just showing the truest version of yourself. So I think that was another really powerful reframe on that because, you know, if you just naturally evolve and you don't call it out, then nobody asks questions and they're just with you growing. Oh my goodness, I'm so excited. When I met Pickle, it was back in the summer at a Nosotros networking event when they were doing, when I was actually doing step and repeat interviews on behalf of the podcast oh, wow. with Nosotros. And yeah, Pickle was one of the guests, one of actually one of the headlining drag queens at that particular day. And we got a chance to connect. And I'm so happy for Pickle to come on and share stories of experience of life lessons wisdom what a treat oh my goodness yes and i love the 
the iteration of, I forget how many C words there were now at this point, well, consistency. So, we added uh, that one. But, but uh, so many, so many useful, practical tips and in such an approachable way. Like it just, I'm excited for listeners to dig into it. So let's do this, shall we? Let's do it. All right, all right. We have Pickle, the amazing, the fabulous, the sparkling, glittering drag queen. Hello, Pickle. How are you? <laughs> Hello, I'm good. How are you? Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm so happy to have you. Yes. I'm so happy to be here. Yes, we actually met Lauren. I don't. I think I shared with you this already, but uh, we met at a Sotros event when Hi. they were doing their. Yeah, the Pride event back in, I believe it was July. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah, it would have been July. Uh, no, June, July, yeah. It doesn't matter. <laughs> the summer. All that matters is that you met and you're here now. That's yeah. it. Yeah, so Pickle, share with our listeners, you know, a little bit about you so we can get more comfortable and familiar, you know, where you're from, what do you do now, where you are currently living. Uh, yeah, well, my name is Pickle. I'm from Los Angeles originally, and I am the drag laureate of West Hollywood. I'm a drag queen here. I run an organization called Drag Story Hour here in Los Angeles, the Los Angeles branch, and I basically perform and host around town and and participate in different educational programs like Story Hour with, with uh, different organizations. So that's kind of my shtick. I like to say that like the three things you need to know about pickle are comedy, community, and kids. Oh, that's the beautiful. three C's, except one is with a K. Except for one, <laughs> right? <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about how you first got into drag? Yeah, I um, dabbled in drag in high school. I did a couple musicals that called for drag and I did have kind of like an aha moment with it where it was like, Oh wow, I really enjoy this. I really like dressing up. And, and then in college I, I had a boyfriend who introduced me to drag as like a broader art form. And, and I really fell in love with it. And um, I just kept doing it and it really felt like the right thing for me, you know, the right, it checked all of my my boxes as an artist, really. I'm also curious about the the third C that's actually a K. Where does the kids part come into this? Well, I um, so I run the LA branch of an organization called Drag Story Hour, where we read to kids, and I got involved with that organization sort of by coincidence because they were starting it here in LA, and I was just like the only drag queen this person knew Michael. So I was the first reader here in LA and I just fell in love with it. I, I love working with kids. I've always enjoyed being around kids and, and teaching. And so it was just kind of a natural fit and they're the best. So I do a lot of programming for children specifically, and they're just great audience members and, and it's important work. So I'm happy to do it. I see on Instagram, you know, you're not only reading to the kids, you're reading to the adults, the seniors in church. I mean, you are all over the place. And I love that you're doing this important work in the midst of censorship, censorship issues that we are facing across in schools across the country. Uh, and even, you know, prohibitive legislation that um, affects many communities, in particular the, the LGBTQ plus community. So, I mean, touche to you, but I'm curious when, where, where, when did that transition take place? When you were like maybe perhaps on stage performing one particular way and then you decided to rebrand and refocus or kind of center your uh, niche on books and uh, reading? I would say it wasn't so much as a rebrand as like a natural progression. I've always been comedy oriented and and I've always been a little bit wholesome mm. so I think that it was just sort of 
Like, my performances have never been particularly raunchy. Like, even when I perform for adults, it's pretty uh, PG. And um, so it kind of was like a natural transition for me. And it, it gave me a little bit, I would say that because at the beginning of drag, I was kind of experimenting with different stuff. And, and I mean, I started doing Drag Story Hour when it was still like, I mean, it's still niche, obviously, but like, you know, no one was doing it. So it was sort of, or like, we were the third city that started doing it. It was, it was pretty like uncommon. So, you know, I had been experimenting with drag in different ways and sort of different styles of performing. And I just kind of naturally through practicing it landed on sort of this more it's not like, oh, I only do kids stuff or I only perform for kids so much as it's like I have guiding principles to how I perform and and what I do and what I focus on. And, and that usually has something to do with like, you know, education or music or because I do like a show that's not specifically for kids that's like with my band and I sing and stuff, but it's still in the same vein of like the spirit of, you know, frivolity and, and curiosity and, and like humor that is still in that same attitude, if that makes sense. Oh, we love all the frivolity and curiosity. Yes. We're here for it. <laughs> I also love that you call out being wholesome because I also think of myself as being very wholesome and the films that I make are sometimes very wholesome. And I often feel like not embarrassed about that, but like, oh, I'm not as creative as other people because I don't take risks. Like I just want to make for me specifically, I feel like I make content for the girls. That's what I tell my producing program. And um, sometimes, you know, I feel like, oh, I don't take risks enough. I'm not dangerous. But like, I appreciate somebody who's just honest about like, yeah, I'm making content that's wholesome and I'm proud of it. So I think that's such an amazing way to own it. Yeah, well, I think that, I mean, yeah, absolutely. And I, I do think that it's like the riskiest thing that a drag performer can do right now is perform for kids <laughs> interestingly and it's like you know I've always I said I say it a lot where it's like there's nothing more punk than being true to yourself yeah. and you know punk isn't about a particular hairstyle or you know bleeding out of your mouth it's like punk is is adhering to your principles regardless of social pressure. So in some ways it's like by being wholesome and and just sort of leaning into what I like to do and continuing to do it in spite of, you know, death threats, it's like it is sort of risky and and weird, but I really just I really just am doing what I like and and it just so happens to be this thing that like people would have be so controversial but yeah I just I kind of let go of that I was like you know whatever I'm never gonna be like a cool kid or like something like I've just kind of let go of that and been like you know I'm always gonna be talking down to myself so I'm just, <laughs> I'm just like kind of letting go of this idea of like what I need to be or, or being edgy it's like you know embrace the wholesomeness yes yeah. I love it. I love that we are. That's amazing. Wait, so I, aside from like death threats, which are, I'm sure, significant. I don't get a lot of death threats. I mean, <laughs> I like, you know, like they, they kind of come to me through other people. So it's like, it's <laughs> usually I have like a layer of organizational pro uh, protection. So I'm not, it's not like I'm getting constant death threats, although they are definitely there. I just don't see them. No, I, was, I was just curious, though, what other challenges have you faced, either creatively or professionally? And what were some ways that you were able to like either overcome them or persevere? I think creative challenges, often it's like logistics, like money. Like, I think that it's like, <laughs> I think more often than not, we're so affected by money, but not we're too embarrassed to say that that's what's bothering us. So like we come up with like all these other things like, Oh, I'm stumped or I feel in the slump. It's like, no, I'm just poor. Like, you know, it's like, <laughs> and it's depressing. I mean, but like, I mean, I'm not super poor, but 
you know, I think that that's my biggest creative talent is like resources. I have a big imagination and I can easily just pour all my resources into, into my art and that can become a big challenge for me. I mean, you know, also patience is a huge challenge. I mean, I'm so, it's a challenge that I overcome though. Like I sew my costumes and I'm not an expert seamstress, but, and I have to make things like six times. Like right now I'm hiding it well, but my apartment is like, Mm -hmm. My friend came over and was like, I'm frightened because it looks like Buffalo Bill's house in here. And it's just like stuff everywhere because I'm making these costumes for this film I'm in. And and I feel a little overwhelmed. But it's like, you know, I'll just make it six times until it's presentable. So those are definitely a couple challenges. Can you tell us about this WeHo Drag Laureate? Because I feel like some of our listeners might be listening to this and being like, what is that? What does that mean? And how did that happen? Yeah, totally. So a Laureate is like, it's basically an ambassadorship between a municipality or a government and an art form. So I essentially serve, like the city of West Hollywood selected me through an application process. It was all public knowledge if you want to like, you know, go back and look at the minutes you can okay, watch them deliver it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and um, they selected me to essentially serve as a representative of the art form for the city so my primary responsibilities are like in a nebulous way promoting the art of drag expanding the footprint of drag specifically in the city of west hollywood bringing like you know innovative drag to that area and more specifically I do that work through appearances at events so like the city utilizes me for different city events and um, organizations can request my presence through the West Hollywood website Um, and then I also organize these uh, drag artist roundtables where drag artists can come and we're having conversations about different programs that we're going to recommend to the city to implement. For example, we're working on suggesting a drag grant for the arts division that would specifically serve drag-related projects and a community workshop space for drag artists who might not necessarily have access to tools like sewing machines or places to uh, make their work and be creative. And so it's like, it's stuff like that where I, I function as sort of an ambassador and and connect the public to this art form. Just to ask, did you happen to have an event this past Saturday? Did uh, gosh, wait, what was Saturday? It was because um, a film that I was in had like a collaboration with West Hollywood. It was How to Hack oh. Birth Control. No, but it would have been the arts division okay. if it was in collaboration with the city. So it's the same department that. Oh, okay. And it would have been through the through the commissioners because the city has a, an artist art commission. I was just gonna say I would have been so mad if I had missed you there. So no, I wasn't there. <laughs> but I is great. Yeah. In the midst of all of your humanitarianism, I cannot help but wonder: Are there any idols that either like were in the beginning stages of pickle brightening the stage? Or are there new idols, perhaps, that are in your mind or that, like, kind of serve as something either to aspire to or just, like, momentum or, like, you know, motivation to keep going? Oh, yeah. I I don't have a lot of idols. I think that I have people that I admire, whose work I admire. I, I think it can be dangerous to kind of, like, idolize people. But I definitely look up to... But I mean, you know, obviously, the it's like I do have idols. Like I looked up to Carrie Fisher; uh, she was a big source of inspiration for me because of the way that she was so candid about her life. And not actually, I question how specific, how like she, how candid she actually was. But like, I think what I was really inspired by her was her ability to take her life and turn it into comedy which a lot of comedians do but but with Carrie Fisher it was a very I just like the way she tells stories and stuff so I really looked up to her uh I really look up to like like business 
people like Kara Swisher is a tech reporter that I really look up to. Scott Galloway is a random kind of like, it treads the territory of being almost a little bro-y for me, but like, <laughs> he's a business person I look up to. And I, and I, I take a lot of professional guidance from that world and, and those things that are happening. And so, but like, you know, more fun idols. I feel like those are such boring idols. Like, uh, no, not, they're not boring, but like RuPaul, I really look up to RuPaul. I think that in spite of like, of course there's pushback on her success and everything, but God, no one does it like she does. It's just like, she is just so beautiful and so smart. And like, she's just like, she really is kind of untouchable. I mean, she's such a pioneer. I mean, she yeah. was doing drag when no one was... She was doing drag... This, this is a common thing where it's like, well, drag has been around forever, blah, 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 blah. She was truly the only one doing drag in the mainstream for a long time. Like, she was alone at the VMAs. She was alone at these red carpet events. Like, that must have been pretty lonely on some level to be, like, the only drag queen you know it's yeah. like pretty crazy so her yeah definitely i try to think i i weirdly i <laughs> i really like hillary clinton i love hillary clinton you're speaking my language <laughs> yeah i think that she's probably like in some deep stuff and like probably there's a lot of like weird <laughs> weird money happening there but i think she's cool i like her well, yeah, also a pioneer. Yeah, definitely. But speaking of pioneers, Pickle, I feel like it's so powerful the way that you've chosen to structure your drag around reading to children, especially given everything that's been happening in Florida around books. And I just really admire that you use your art form um, around kids because I remember my first time experiencing drag was such a powerful moment. And like you bringing that to kids, I feel like is incredibly inspirational. And I'm curious, like, as we get into our little expert section, if I were somebody who, you know, had never been around drag before and I'm interested in getting into drag, what would be some steps that you would advise me to take? Totally. I am also going to tack on to my answer, Gwen Verdon, who is a Broadway performer from like the mid-century. Anyway, sorry. I just yes, like that Gwen, Gwen, to me. Gwen. <laughs> Okay, yeah. It's interesting because I really... I can't, and my finger is getting all like over here. Uh, oh, <laughs> boys, start gesturing. Us all day. <laughs> um, uh, sometimes I watch these things back and I'm like, why do I gesture like that? Anyway, so <laughs> I will say that like, I really just genuinely enjoy reading the books for children. I really don't do it for any other reason other than I really enjoy it. And I tell people that when they're starting story hour or whatever, like, you know, if you want to do it, like, then do it. Like, I, but I only work, I only bring people in that really want to do it. They really enjoy it and really get a lot out of the program. I think that, you know, children are so fun to perform for. Parents are so fun to perform for. And um, I do kind of recognize the importance of it, but that doesn't guide my decision making very often other than like, if I'm nervous that like I'm going to get killed, I'll be like, it's important. And I'll like go out there anyway. But so I will say that caveat that it's like, you know, I do, I selfishly really enjoy the program itself. And um, that's why I do it. But I think that people, but I do recognize that like, you know, a lot of these it's, it's, it can be very emotional for young queer people and it can be really intense. And, and I feel bad because I kind of shut, I can't get caught up in any of that. Like, because if I, if I stop to, to sort of soak in all the emotions, it gets really intense because there's so much <laughs> negativity that I really, I try to be gracious and, and soak that all in. But I also just try to be, just do the program and not get caught up in it because it's like, they'll see it and it'll affect the people it affects. It won't affect the people it's not going to affect, but but yeah, being young and seeing like drag or even like fantasy was really special. So I think it's cool to be able to touch young people in that way. And also, I think my advice for people starting drag is always to just go for it and just, you know, enjoy it. And, and remember that drag is really irreverent and, and 
is is all about your personality. I say I teach drag um, <laughs> to the delight of the far right, and <laughs> my sort of like tenets of it are that it's about you. You know, you conceal a part of yourself to reveal a deeper truth about who you are, and as a result, you connect with your audience. So I think that it's it's important never to lose sight of who you are when you're doing it. I love that message. Oh my God. That's so beautiful and heartfelt. Ooh. But I'm curious though, if someone were really determined to, you know, book the gig, what are like either three to five, like go to, you have to do this in order to, yeah, to book them gigs. Oh yeah. You know, I have, I'm not the most successful drag queen in the world, but I do. I will say that I think that I have a pretty solid, have made a pretty good sort of living of it. And even though I'm terrible with money, but that's unrelated <laughs> uh, to my ability to like bring it in. I think that you have to remember what I do is that I remember like the market value of what I'm offering. Like my most, the thing that makes me valuable as a performer is my work with kids. I mean, and not to sound like cynical and sometimes like when I open the, my friend says I have to be careful cause I can get a little bit of like lizard brain, <laughs> but it's like, I understand, I have a strong under what helps me professionally is I have a strong understanding of what value I bring to what places I'm not going to make good money in nightclubs and bars because that's not the kind of, work that I do and that's not where I get like the most traction like I get the most traction with young people and with you know programs and libraries and bookstores so I really leaned into that and that's not a coincidence you know it's like you have to understand what it is that you bring to the table not just as a creative person but you know this is America so it's a capitalist society so everything, including creativity, is subject to the markets. So it's like, I think a lot of drag performers who are trying to get ahead professionally and get frustrated is because they're working in bars which have really low profit margins. Mm -hmm. And the bars and clubs don't, it doesn't make sense for them to reinvest in creativity because they don't need creativity to make money. They need people in the bar so it's like as long as you're someone who brings in a lot of people it doesn't you like you know the creativity is like a bonus for them so it's like I prefer to work in venues where you know the market value is determined by the creative input so like I partner with organizations who value my creativity and that's what they want so that's definitely something that I think young oh not young but like new drag artists need to remember is that like our work sounds so garbage, but it's like my work isn't intrinsically valuable monetarily. I'm not entitled to make a living off of my creativity. I'm entitled to my creativity mm -hmm. and to the to the joy and the happiness that it brings me, which it does. But it's like, you know, if, yeah, if I wanted to be making a ton of money, I would be on social media making, I would be like tapping into you know, algorithms and stuff like that, but it doesn't bring me joy. It doesn't interest me, but I have accepted that it's like, I'm not going to get a return on those platforms because I'm not, you know, capitalizing on them. Does that make sense? Yeah. Makes well, total sense. yeah. yeah. It's like very clear. You're doing it for the love of the game rather than any extrinsic motivation, which like makes me curious. Also, what are some of the things that you're teaching when you said that you're teaching drag? It's mostly like I focus on I haven't done like a comprehensive class, even though I've, I've built curriculum around it, like hypothetical curriculum based on like educational standards that would teach drag more thoroughly. But I focus on the those three tenets that I touched on the conceal, reveal, connect, because it's like so, for example, when I teach Drag 101, which is what we kind of just call it. We we did it with the Academy Museum. So we had four sort of segments over to our period, which started with like basic drag history that the One Archive Foundation or the One Foundation, but they just changed their name. I can't remember what it was, but they did like a little PowerPoint on sort of significant trailblazers in drag 
then we moved on to me who kind of laid down the theory of drag. So like, what is it that makes drag drag, which are, as I said, those three tenets where it's like, you know, we brainstorm and crowdsource, like what are ways that drag performers conceal themselves? It's like, Oh, there's makeup, costume, hair, uh, changing your voice. It's like, these are the things that RuPaul and, you know, Landon Sider have in common. Like, you know, they're so different, but they're both doing this thing where they, you know, hide some part of themselves or transform themselves in order to, to sort of give you a peek into their innermost selves on some level, which creates that vulnerability. So I talk about that a lot. And then, you know, we did like a little bit of makeup. So it's like, the important thing I think with that work is to keep it very open and keep it very flexible. So like I would introduce students to tools that they could use to realize their own creative vision, as opposed to being like, this is how you like make yourself a fabulous woman. Like, you know, that's a little limiting. So it's like the idea would be, okay, you teach the fundamentals of the practice just like painting, you know, you're not like, okay, we're going to paint Guernica. Like, you know, you teach them how to, how to like do color theory, basically. So a lot of that work is around figuring out what the color theory of drag is, essentially. This sounds kind of boring, but it's, no, it's important. It fascinating. I love it. It's, um, did you ever read Frank DeCaro's book about drag? I saw him a few, you may have crossed his path at Outfest. I saw him there this past uh, summer. Which one? Which what oh, book? As well. Yeah, he was on our podcast as well. Frank DeCaro. Anyways, another author. My point to this question, though, is I'm curious: Will there be a pickle drag manual in publication sometime, or some sort of? Maybe I'm not like I kind of do it as like a hobby, like that part of it, and okay. you know I'd like to continue that work professionally. I could see there being sort of drag. That, I mean, that's one of the great things about arts education is that there's just so many different ways to kind of document and, and codify it. So, I mean, I could see myself doing that. I definitely will hopefully write books um, okay, at some codify. point. Not we today. We got another seat to, <laughs> to your list. That's it. Go ahead. Yeah, codify. <laughs> that's the last C. That's the last K sound, which coincidentally is... The strongest comedic sound is the hard K. The hard K, mm-hmm. yes. K. Yes, I feel like yeah. comedian was talking about this. Oh, it's God. in 30 Rock, too. They have a thing about it where they're like, the hard K. Can you say rural juror? Very fast. Rural juror. Rural The rural juror. Have you even watched the rural juror? We're on a 30 Rock <laughs> tangent now. Oh, my God. Well, I, Julia I, Louis Dreyfus. That's yes, another one. Yes. Oh my God. Whoa, she's an angel. That's another oh, idol. Definitely please. Julia Louis Dreyfus. Yeah. Yes. Wait, <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I was just going to ask. So, like, if you're advising somebody who's in drag and they want to go through a rebrand, what are some ways that people can do that? And how have you advised people in that in the past? Or have you ever wanted to go through a rebrand yourself? I think that my advice would be don't. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think that rebrands are often panic driven and um, unnecessary because I think that they, they sort of overestimate how much the world is paying attention to like, you know, what you can't rebrand from yourself it's not unless you just start lying like it's impossible it's like your brand dna is going to be in everything that you do i mean this is all like you know my brand dna is going to be in everything that i do so it's like i think that it can feel like have you did you notice that like the 99 cent store did some weird rebrand they did some rebrand where they like changed all their graphics and stuff like that it's just it just feels like busy work to me i think that growing is normal and natural and that that'll result in change like you know the drag that i do today is very different from the drag that i was even doing a year ago but i think of it as a progression i don't think of it as like a 180 i think it's all part of you know the natural growth and i think that you know people that i think you know because i've had friends that have done like hard rebrands of like you know they're and it hasn't it a it hasn't resulted in 
what they were looking for, which was like, oh, it's it's my name that's keeping me from becoming a superstar. That's what it is. It's like, no, it's just not like what's on the menu today. So it's I think that it's a little jarring and it's a little I'm just not I'm not super pro rebrand. I maybe that's a little controversial, but that's just kind of my stance on it. I think that it it um communicates panic. Um I would say that if I were giving advice, which I don't give a lot of advice, but if my advice on it would be, or if I were feeling panicky and I were like, oh, I'm going to just like, I'm going to shift. I would like think like, oh, I'll take a class or like, you know, I'll, I'll add this to what I do. And if it be, if I'm really passionate about it, then it will just eventually become what I do. But I don't think it's always a good idea to be like, okay, hard pivot. I'm going to start, you know, making wicker baskets now. <laughs> like, you know, it's like, okay, cool. But, and I just don't think that anyone notices. I think that, like, you know, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And I really appreciate the permanence, or not permanence, but um, like the dedication to authenticity. I feel like I'm I'm hearing that as like a really strong undertone of like what you're communicating in terms of like you don't have to do a whole 180. I love how you phrase that too. You don't have to do a 180. You just move as fluidly as possible in whatever direction that your your gifts are taking you, uh, and which I'm sure serves super well when you're reaching out or making a positive impact in communities that might be hit heavily by really discriminatory practices or legislation. And for, you know, for people who might be listening who want tips on how to make a positive impact in their own community that might be hit or not hit, but like that might not be as um, open-minded as a place like Los Angeles. What sort of what sort of tips do you have for them for, for them to just get started or to take a risk and put themselves out there? I think that, yeah, it's tricky. I've never lived somewhere... I think that just continuing perseverance, I mean, just like the, the loudest people are in the minority usually with the negative stuff. And, and I mean, the luckily and kind of surprisingly, the judicial system seems to be kind of stripping down those, I mean, the, it'll be appealed, but the, the Texas court or the federal court just, uh, just was like, okay, that law is unconstitutional. And that and that will have, it'll probably go to the Supreme Court. And I'm sure that they'll screw us over. But um, <laughs> it's like, you know, I think just uh, perseverance and also uh, being mindful that like, if you are going to stay in a place where it's not necessarily supported or it's being actively legislated against, I think considering the fact that you might have to couple what you're doing with like political action as an inevitability to make it safer. It's like, you know, if you want to avoid that, then I would say, you know, relocate, but you know, it's like, there's so much local government is so important. And, and I try to make a point of going to a lot of local government things so that I can see how change is being affected on a local level. And what people don't realize is that like, there's like some random person in your neighborhood who has like a disproportionate amount of political power because they're the only person showing up to the neighborhood council meetings. <laughs> you know, there's like a lot of political power to be had. And sometimes I'll show up at these like little meetings and I'll be like, Oh, it's you who's been running the show. <laughs> like that's why <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> our neighborhood is in disarray or whatever. It's like, <laughs> You know, a lot of times it's like the way the political power is distributed in this country does it does kind of trickle down. And then you've just got some guy named Jim who's like making all these weird decisions. So it's like go to your city council meetings, um, run for office and get involved in that way. I think it's great. I mean, I'm pretty involved in the West Hollywood government, just not only for my laureateship, but just as a citizen, even though I, I don't technically live in West Hollywood, but, you know, I go to all those meetings and I pay attention and I speak up and it's really empowering. 
Oh my yeah. goodness. I love this civic responsibility, all these duties. Oh my goodness, you truly are a reigning queen. Or I just really like power. Like, c- consider oh. that. Like, who doesn't like power? That, <laughs> like, civic <laughs> responsibility. Power. Mm-hmm. Was there ever a moment where you wanted to leave Trag? And how did you get through that? Ooh, yes. I had like a, I, I had my identity crisis rebrand a couple years ago, but what I didn't do is I didn't make it public in any way. So I just like was able to <laughs> muscle through it. I don't, I'm very like private, but I auditioned for grad schools for like acting, to, like acting for acting like a couple years ago. Cause I was like, I'm, I'm done. It was like the tail end of the pandemic and I was struggling to like find passion and drag and, I just wasn't working. I wasn't working. It was like, I felt like I had been so negatively impacted and like I had nothing to like move off of and I was hating everything. And then, so I started auditioning for grad schools and I just, and it was great because it, it forced me to really throw myself into something completely different. I learned a lot also learned that I don't want to be an actor, uh, which I had always kind of had one, foot like out a little bit being like what if like I'm missing out on like acting like what if like because I used to act all the time I'm like what if I'm just like this great actor who's like not in the right place and like I just didn't love it I didn't love the work even like in its best moments I was like I don't like I don't like this as much I like acting I think acting's great I have a lot of respect for it I like directing a lot more but it was great to throw myself into that world completely different world and realized that it wasn't... Uh, first of all, I didn't get into the schools. I did get called back. So I will caveat with, like, it wasn't a complete failure. <laughs> but I kind of fell a little bit flat on my face. I got rejected. I, it was a lot of rejection very fast and very intensely. And then I had this moment where I was like, wow, I, like, didn't... I kind of thought that I would get into grad school. I did not. Am I going to try it again? And I was like, well... I had this drag gig and I just fell back in love with it. I did a story hour at the aquarium. It was so what I love to do. I felt so at home and I felt so reinvigorated. It really reactivated me in drag. And and I just was like, you know what? I'm just going to throw myself in and be and take that one foot that was always a little bit out the door and just slam it into this. And and I fell more in love with it. And I now I'm falling more in love with it every day. And I'm like, and in a way, I'm like, thank God I, and I know it sounds a little hypocritical because earlier I was like, don't rebrand. But it, I don't consider it a rebrand because I did not stop. Uh, and I didn't tell anyone. Um, so I kind of <laughs> privately investigated a rebrand. But it was so inspiring to come back to like, what, it was very like Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz and and it felt great. And it, it also like, I was like, wow, like higher education has a lot of like really interesting, <laughs> there's a lot of equity issues there, but not like for me, but for, there were so many interesting things that revealed themselves to me. I, mean, I think it's just such great honesty too, especially like with what you were saying earlier about the rebrand, because I do think it's important for us to like take time away from the thing that we love most to, um, you know, reinvigorate our passion for it. I feel that way even with the strikes right now, like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the strikes were going on and then it sort of feels like this week with the writer's strike possibly ending that things have been coming back around again. And now like having auditions again, I feel like I've, um, you know, reinvigorated my love for acting, which I had lost in a couple of weeks. So mm-hmm. I think it's important like take that moment for yourself and be like, do I, is this the thing that I want to be doing? And am I sure of that? Yeah. I mean, I think that you got to really like doing it, you know, (laughs) especially in the creative field, especially in, um, I think that that's one of the, not to get too off topic, but like, that's one of the big reckonings of the entertainment industry right now is that it's like, the reality is that it's not going to be the golden goose for much longer and it's like it's gonna rattle a lot of people who are going to have to decide you know 
do I still want to do this? I mean, I like to remind everyone that like there was a time when theater was like where the money was. So, you know, it's like things change, (laughs) but yeah, I agree. I think it's, it's really great to take a moment to be like, well, what am I doing? And just remember that it's like, it's, it doesn't matter. Like nothing, like, you know, there's no, I, one of my favorite sort of like, quotes uh is like time is a gift not a threat it's like there's no race and there's no emergency like there's no such thing as an emergency if people's lives aren't at stake like there's just no other emergency there's no emergency that can be communicated via email there's no emergency that can be communicated in any other way other than like oh my god like we need the fire department. You know, it's like, I just don't believe in fashion emergencies. I don't believe in drag emergencies. And that has given me a lot of like perspective. That is a lot of, uh, even as you're speaking, I was like, Oh, you're right. There are no, yes, no emergencies. Just flow. Just let things happen. My goodness. Why stress? But I mean, it was funny. I, I, inside, I was like, wait, but there can be printing emergencies. There can be some sort of customer emergency that has... But then I was like, no. No, it's not real. It's like... I mean, which is to say, like, I love to work. I really like to work and prepare as much as possible. And then it's sort of like everything after that is like, okay, well, it didn't work out. Or like, whatever. Like, it's like, I wasn't prepared for that. So it, it's... But it's not. No one's gonna... Everything's fine. Everything's oh fine. I'm curious. Do you have like a morning routine or any healthy habits that you do every day to be the best version of yourself? I would say that my most consistent, uh, my most consistent practice is that I drink a lot of water. I drink, and for the last like four years, I've just been very consistent. I drink a gallon of water every day. I've like, I'm very consistent with it. It has alleviated many of many things like over time, like being consistently hydrated. I really do attribute that to so much of like the good things in my life where it's like, my skin is clear. I have a clear head. I don't get headaches. I like, you know, I never feel like I'm making decisions impulsively because I'm like, you know, not hydrated. So that I will say I'm consistent with. I do go to the gym. I go to training mate. I love to be active. I wish that I ate a little bit healthier, but I try. I do. And I pray every morning when I wake up for sure every day on my knees, which I think creeps people out a little sometimes when I say it, but uh, so I drink water, I thank God, and I do exercise consistently. Consistency. We got another C. Oh, wait, no, that's the C you already said earlier, I think. So. I didn't say consistency. You didn't say consistency? Okay, well, we'll add no. that to the list. That's we're, we're add 10 it. now, I think. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> it's all about the Cs. What's a funny incident that happened during yeah. one of your reading hours? Oh, well, children are just hysterical. I mean, they will just say things like, like, I have this one section in a book where I'm like, can you show me, like, small? Can you show me medium? Can you show me large? Can you show me extra large? The little girl was like, just like you. And like, oh, so this girl was reading me. The, I'll just, like, look. I'll hear, like, rustling noises. And I'll, like, look down. And there'll just be a baby, like, in my purse. Just, like, oh. robbing me, essentially. Oh, my God. They, I mean, kids truly just are so unhinged in such a great way they're just (laughs) the anarchy of their brains is like so phenomenal that's hilarious i love that what was it you you're a giant or you're extra large what was that just like you you're extra large oh my goodness that's hilarious (laughs) (laughs) well our dm of the week asks which venue do you have your eye on as a future performance space is that a DM for me? I'm so curious. Do yes. you crowdsource these DMs? No, see, no one's interested in my, like, my private life. No one cares. Um, <laughs> I was hoping that I, there would be some thirsty DM, but no. Oh. Okay, performance venues? Yeah, I would love to perform at the Bourbon Room. That's a very attainable one that I have my eyes on a little bit. Pasadena Playhouse. I would love oh. to collaborate with them. I 
I'm good friend of them, but I'd love to work with them, and I think I probably will at some point. Yeah, I don't like. I try to be very flexible, so I'm not like, oh, I gotta get in there. I gotta get in there. I usually like, I'm pretty determined. But in terms of venues, I'd love to perform at the Model Bane, just because it's so close to my house. It'd be like a walk. I could walk there, which would be great. Yeah, I think those are. These all sound attainable. Let's let's yeah. make it happen. Twenty twenty four. Yeah, I'm all like Mickey's. just like random gay bars (laughs) just like i would love to headline it like i remember when it was like oh my gosh if i could get on the stage of precinct that would be it i would have made it look how far you've come i know how funny Amazing, Lori. Well, thank you so much for being here, Pickle. It was such a joy talking to you. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Thank awesome. you. And please, for our listeners, tell us how we can stay updated on your work, any projects coming up, or social media that you want to share. Well, you can follow me at Pickle Drag Queen on Instagram, and my website is pickledragqueen.com. So, pretty easy. And you can DM me or <laughs> email me or comment and just like say something aggressive. Yeah, personal questions you didn't get to ask, you can now. Yeah, DM. please. My DMs, my DMs could not be more open. No one is like walking into them, but they are very open. I am like, I w- what happened to me recently where I was like so flat? Oh, wait, no, that's a really dark story. I won't. Uh, oh, but like, okay. I'll take any form of flattery from anyone. Let's just say that. Like, I was the well, there was a protester at one of my events, and like, she was like, "Pickle is like, you know, possessed," and I was like, "Oh my gosh, you know my name." Oh, <laughs> 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 um, like, you know, I like will take that any form of validation. Welcome, amazing pickle. Do- oh my god. Well, no more possessions. Just glorious light surrounding your every future move thank you so so much for coming on this is thank you my pleasure well that has been another episode of damsels in the dms what a treat what a sparkling gift oh my goodness and if you want more please tell us who we can highlight who you have your eye on who you want to hear from or whose book you're even reading We want to know all about it. You can let us know in a DM, in a letter, in a voicemail. We have many different options for you to keep us updated on what you want to learn about, experience, or hear from. Yes, absolutely. And please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. Those really help us to continue to bring you content. So please make sure that you're doing that if you like what you're hearing. And thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Damsels in the DMs. Until next time. It's going down in the DMs. Bye. DMs, DMs, yeah, we see them. Yeah, we read them. DMs, DMs, we don't need them. We just leave them. Please. Yeah. It's going down in the DMs. Bye. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.